The American Thoracic Society. We help the world breathe. This is Jacob Yasha Schneider, editor of the American Journal of Respiratory and Critical Care Medicine, welcoming you to the American Thoracic Society's podcast. I would like to introduce our editorial board member, Dr. Nathan Sim of the Section of Pulmonary Critical Care Medicine at the Veterans Affairs Hospital in Washington, D.C. He is an assistant professor of medicine at George Washington University and conducts translational research on biomarkers of inflammation and coagulation in ARDS and sepsis. Welcome, Dr. Sim. Thanks, Yasha. Today's podcast is an international one. I will discuss a very interesting paper from the April 1, 2013 Blue Journal entitled Comparison of the Berlin Definition for Acute Respiratory Distress Syndrome with Autopsy with study author Andres Esteban as well as an author of the accompanying editorial who also conducted extensive research in the field of ARDS, Dr. Taylor Thompson. Dr. Esteban is an MD-PhD who works in the Department of Intensive Care Medicine at Hospital Universitario de Getafe, Madrid, Spain. He's a member of the editorial board of the American Journal of Respiratory and Critical Care Medicine. Dr. Thompson is Director of Critical Care Translational Research in the Pulmonary Critical Care Unit at Massachusetts General Hospital and a professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School. He is an associate editor of the American Journal of Respiratory and Critical Care Medicine. Thank you both for joining me today, and I'd like to start the podcast with a question for Dr. Thompson. Dr. Thompson. Let's start with some background regarding the current paper. The revised Berlin definition of ARDS was published in 2012. What were some of the limitations of the prior American-European Consensus Conference, or AECC as we'll refer to it, definition of ARDS that prompted the Berlin definition? And as a follow-up, could you please describe how the Berlin definition revised the old AECC definition of ARDS? Um, uh, Good question. And uh, first of all, let me say that achieving a consensus 18 years ago for a definition of ARDS was a landmark accomplishment by the American-European Consensus Group, uh, led by Drs. Bernard and Artigas. The definition was obviously widely adopted by clinical researchers and clinicians, and a huge body of epidemiologic and clinical research data followed that really served the uh, basis for our management of patients with ARDS today, uh, including lung protective ventilation and sensible use of PEEP, for example. However, the AECC definition um, did indeed have a number of uh, limitations, including a lack of explicit criteria for defining acute, the sensitivity of PF ratio to different ventilator settings, poor reliability of the chest radiographic criteria, that was fairly well described, difficulties in distinguishing hydrostatic edema from ARDS, and some others. So so finally, the term ALI, which was coined by the AECC uh, committee, included ARDS, and this led to some confusing terminology, especially about what to call the milder end of the spectrum, patients with PF ratios between 2 and 300. So the Berlin Definition Task Force, which included uh, Dr. Esteban, proposed and refined the AECC definition into a draft definition. And then in, a, in an unusual and perhaps even novel validation process, modified the definition after uh, conducting an individual patient meta-analysis of nearly 4,000 patients. The insights gained by that meta-analysis resulted in a revised definition that is much simpler. The new definition drops the term ALI, 
defines three mutually exclusive categories of ARDS based on PF ratio centiles. Uh, the group with uh, PF ratios between 200 and 300 are now referred to as mild ARDS. A minimum level of PEEP is specified, and a seven-day window defines acute. Uh, the new definition explicitly recognizes that heart failure and ARDS may coexist and acknowledges that the distinction between the two can be difficult to make for clinicians. The task force offers a number of clinical vignettes to help clinicians make these distinctions between uh, cardiogenic and non-cardiogenic edema, and those appear in an electronic supplement. And then finally, I think one of the more important contributions of the new definition are that the uh, radiographic criteria are now more explicitly described. The task force did not have a lot of confidence that words alone would increase the reliability of the radiographic criteria, so a number of example radiographs are given in the electronic supplement to give investigators and clinicians an idea of um, qualifying radiographic capacities, capacities that are not consistent with ARDS, and then we actually gave some examples where it's just not possible to know. There are some fundamental limitations to the plan radiograph. So all in all, the new definition codifies, I think, the stratification by severity we've been seeing in recent clinical trials and meta-analyses and will probably be a more suitable overall structure for future research, patient management, and uh, triage, though the reliability of the definition and its validity in detecting DAD either remain to be examined or will be the subject of this uh, podcast today. Well, thank you, Dr. Thompson, for uh, briefly summarizing uh, and refining the clinical definition. But now let's get to Dr. Esteban. Your group previously performed a similar study in comparing the old AECC definition of ARDS to autopsy findings, and that study was published in the Annals of Internal Medicine in 2004. So just as review, would you please describe the findings of the prior study? And in the current study, which is the natural progression, did you study the same autopsy specimens as well? I can start with the, the last question. We included in the previous study 382 patients without clinical autopsy admitted in intensive care unit between 1991 and 2002. All the, the patients have been included in the new study, plus another similar number, 313 new patients admitted in intensive care unit between 2002 to 2011. For the reason, it is uh, about, in the previous study, half about the half of the patient included in the actual study. About the other question, in the previous study, we used the, to define the RDS, the, obviously, the American-European Consensus Conference. Uh, one important point, it is one of the difference between both studies. In the previous one, the X-radio criteria was pulmonary infiltrate in the four quadrants, the X-radio, the chest X-radio, and the pulmonary edema was excluded in many of the cases in which the wet pressure lower than 18. In the actual one, it is not exactly necessary to know how is the, the wet pressure. We get the permit for clinical autopsy in the 100%. It is the routine in our intensive care unit and got 35% without any discrimination related to the type of pathology or the tubes about the premortem diagnosis. In this study, we found the RDS in 33% of the patients, 127 of the total case. We have 
about 70% with risk factor of the total number, the, the autopsies, we have 70% with risk factor for RDS, and this is the group of the patients that we study. Interestingly, the 43 patients with RDS without diffuse alveolar damage, the reason for the error, the pneumonia, was the histological finding in 71%. It is the main reason to the error in the diagnosis of RDS in relation with the present or not of the diffuse alveolar damage. In the other side, in 27 patients with diffuse alveolar damage but not RDS, uh, premortem diagnosis, in about the half of the patient, 12 patients, 44%, the clinical diagnosis was pneumonia. And finally, the patient has diffuse alveolar damage. And the other, other big group is another 12 patients with a acute pulmonary edema. Maybe one of the, the main findings in this study is the sensitivity of the RDS criteria to predict the diffuse alveolar damage in all the patients together, all the patients with the risk factor was 76% and the specificity 75. One interesting idea that it is not confirmed in the actual study, we found that the sensitivity in the subgroup of patients in which the risk factor was pulmonary was lower, 71, and the specificity is also lower, about more or less 70, 69. In the other side, in the subgroup with risk factor extrapulmonary, the sensitivity and the specificity is higher in both cases in the subgroup of patients in which risk factor was extrapulmonary reason, it is peritonitis mainly. And I think this, uh, this is the, the main finding of the first study. Yes, well, thank you for that summary, Dr. Esteban, and you sort of alluded to the current study, and let's get into discussing some of the specifics. So now you've taken uh, those old autopsy specimens and the new ones over the last 10 years, as you mentioned, and you've evaluated the sensitivity and specificity of the Berlin definition. I'd like to ask you a little bit about the specifics of your methods. So how did your group do chart review to confirm the clinical diagnosis of ARDS at the time of death? And what did the pathologist use as a reference standard for ARDS? Uh, you mentioned diffuse alveolar damage, but you also mentioned that many of the patients who did not have diffuse alveolar damage had pneumonia. I thank very much this question because it's one of the methodology more difficult to believe. But we have uh, this uh, methodology using from the 30 years ago in, in, our, intensive, in our hospital because uh, the first paper where we published was in the critical care medicine in 1985 uh, about the error in the clinical diagnosis, and the methodology is absolutely the same. We use, for uh, the gold standard, the diffuse alveolar damage. We use the catch stain and co-worker classical criteria. In our study, we consider diffuse alveolar damage, the presence of the gelin membrane plus intraalveolar edema or pneumocytes type 1 necrosis, pneumocytes type 2 hyperplasia, interstitial proliferation of fibrosis, or organizing interstitial fibrosis. We, the routine or the old pathologies, in all of the cases, we take a sample from each phi level and an additional one in some uh, area that the pathologists uh, consider not normal. All the histological samples were reviewed by two senior pathologists and the discrepancy by affairs. We have a good sound advantage in my hospital. We have about, in the intensive care unit, about 33% of the autopsies in the outside of the 
uh, organ donor or uh, the legal uh, autopsy, the clinical, we have 35% of the patient that died in the intensive care unit, uh, we have the autopsy. Um, one is the reason that we, the routine in the intensive care unit service, it is to give all the permits to the family in everyone, it depends of the, of the situation of the patient or the situation of the prior premortem diagnosis. And we have pathologies on duty from 8 in the morning to 10 in the evening. All these things together facilitate the possibility to have a very big, big number of autopsy and to perform this type of study. Thank you for that description. So now, Dr. Esteban, let's move to the specific findings of the current study published in the Blue Journal on April 1st. So how many patients had clinical criteria for ARDS at the time of death? And then as a follow-up, please tell us what were the sensitivity and specificity of the Berlin definition in this study and how they compare to the prior study we've talked about based on the AECC definition? First of all, is this a, a reason or to include uh, patients in the study? All the patients included in the actual study meet RDS uh, Berlin definition criteria at time of death. Everyone. It is uh, really, it isn't really unusual to have uh, the possibility to perform the autopsy in the case of the patient that have RDS and then have a good evolution and finally die for another different problem. But in any case, in this study, every patient included in the study have the RDS, the Lean Definition Criteria, at the time of death. On the other side, the percentage of patients in the Berlin Definition Group has diffuse alveolar damage at very different in relation with the three groups of the Berlin Definition. For instance, it's only in the 12% in the group with meal RDS, it is very high in the moderate, it is 40%, and finally, in the severe group, we have 58% of the patients have diffuse alveolar damage from histological point of view, obviously. But we analyze the diffuse alveolar damage and pneumonia together. I, I give this number because I know that the, I hope it's not many, but some people consider that the bilateral bacterial pneumonia is a, another type of, of design of the, of the classical RDS for the reason we analyze all together. If we put together the patient with diffuse alveolar damage and the pneumonia, the patient with bilateral pneumonia without diffuse alveolar damage, the percentage was as high as 88% percent in the severe group. It is obviously the, the group with more problem. For on the other side, the patient have meet uh, clinical criteria for RTS for a longer time had a higher probability to have that diffuse alveolar damage in the autopsy examination. For instance, only the 27% in patients with acute respiratory distress syndrome moderate or severe during less than 72 hours have diffuse alveolar damage. In versus 62% in the patient that had more for during more than 70, uh, 72 hours the Berlin definition criteria. In the subgroup of the patient with severe criteria and more than 72 hours, the incidence of the diffuse alveolar damage was as high as 69%. And parallel with this uh, finding, the dynamic compliance were parallel to the severity of the criteria, and in the RDS clinical criteria, with, uh, for instance, in the, in the meal is 28 milliliters per centimeter of water, 22 in the moderate, and 20 in severe group. 
and also the, this difference are statistically significant. In more and more, it's uh, the same for the weight of the land. It is uh, more heavy, the severe, and the uh, less uh, meal, uh, moderate and less uh, the, the meal. Altogether, uh, this very congruent, and uh, the idea it is uh, a very good close relation between uh, the Berlin definition classification and all funding, histological funding, the autopsy. So, Dr. Thompson, I'd like to follow up with you. I mean, obviously, it's very impressive that Dr. Esteban's institution is able to get all these autopsy specimens, and so we can even have this sort of clinical pathological correlation. And granted, that is a single institution experience there, but this study does suggest that, like the prior AECC definition, despite the improvements you mentioned, the Berlin definition still has a relatively low specificity for ARDS. I'd ask you for your reactions to that finding. Well, first of all, I agree entirely that this is a remarkable cohort that Dr. Esteban and his colleagues have accumulated over the past 20 years, remarkable in how carefully characterized the clinical phenotype has been and also the, the standardized, rigorous approach to analyzing the uh, lung histology. So it is uh, really, without parallel, the best uh, phenotypes and most carefully described uh, cohort in the world. And I also agree, obviously, that the Berlin definition and the prior AECC definitions have relatively low specificity for DAD, diffuse alveolar damage, and perhaps more specifically, low specificity for the presence of hyaline membranes. As uh, Dr. Esteban nicely outlined, the specificity improves somewhat to 58% in the more severe end of the ARDS uh, spectrum, which is the group now referred to as severe ARDS in the Berlin definition, but 58% is still pretty low. What Dr. Esteban nicely reviewed for us is, however, if you add pneumonia without hyaline membranes, to DAD, which could be pneumonia with DAD, but other causes of DAD, then in the severe end of the spectrum, the specificity is relatively high, approaching 88%. If you add the, um, the pulmonary edema cases, it's even higher. And so what these, at least the severe end of the definition appears to identify are patients with inflammatory lung conditions that may or may not have a hyaline membrane present. And it's a key question, which I suppose we'll touch on later, about how important that distinction is. Now, on this note, I think it's important to go back. The Berlin Task Force struggled with this issue during the deliberations uh, in Berlin two years ago. Uh, members of the panel were not in complete agreement that DAD is the sole pathologic correlate of ARDS. And some considered, as Dr. Esteban alluded to, that uh, pneumonia and non-cardiogenic edema are compatible with ARDS when clinical criteria are also met. So again, what I would conclude is that what Andreas and his colleagues have demonstrated is that the clinical syndrome defined by the, either the prior AECC or the current definition is pretty poor correlate for uh, the presence of hyaline membranes at postmortem, but is pretty good, fairly high specificity, particularly at the end of the severity spectrum, at predicting or identifying inflammatory lung conditions more broadly defined. So, Dr. Esteban, to follow up with you, I was surprised to see that 14% of patients who met the clinical criteria for ARDS 
actually had normal lungs at autopsy. And I'd ask uh, if you had specific thoughts on, on how you could explain that. Could that be related to the way the lungs were prepared at the time of autopsy? First of all, I would like to, to point that the, the 33% of the autopsy is only in the patient diet in the intensive care unit, not in the, all the hospital, obviously. It is in the, the rate of the autopsy in the hospital is lower, obviously. I answer your, your question. It's uh, the, the methodology used for the routine in the autopsy by our pathologists include the expansion of the lung with formalin with a column of 55 centimeters long. About uh, we, we use uh, 55 centimeters of water or the pressure. This is the, the best way to fix correctly the tissues of the lung, but obviously it's bad to maintain the eventual atelectasis. Maybe because we have no more information. All the cases with positive X radio and gas chain compatible with RDS, but without pathological chain in the autopsy, where a telestasis responded. But it is a hypothesis. Obviously, we have no more information. In the case of not diffuse alveolar damage, and it is also interesting that the 14% of the patient with RDS clinical criteria have only multiple atelectasis. It is uh, one of the interesting findings with this uh, number, 14. It's uh, the reason maybe it's atelectasis, and obviously we are not sure, but uh, looks like very reasonable, this explanation. And another not very agreeable thing, it is about the 14% of the old patient in which we consider RDS have nothing have uh, only atelectasis. This is not nothing, but it's close to nothing. So, Dr. Thompson, I'd like to ask you about something you discussed in your editorial that I, I found interesting. It's been debated whether the use of uh, low tidal volume ventilation can be useful in preventing the development of ARDS. And there are some interesting clinical pathologic findings in this study that sort of add further intrigue to this debate. Would you explain these findings to our listeners? Uh, good question. Dr. Esteban and Dr. Teeley, his uh, first author, um, carefully looked at this uh, remarkable database in a number of different ways. One of their interesting findings was that there was a lower proportion of DAD in patients studied in the past a decade, between 2001 and 2010. And patients in this more contemporary cohort were ventilated with lower tidal volumes in comparison to uh, patients uh, ventilated in the prior decade and prior to the publication of the ARTS Network lower tidal volume trial. The proportion of patients with DAD was higher in this uh, early decade. Furthermore, at-risk patients ventilated for more than 72 hours, as Dr. Esteban has already told us, uh, had a higher likelihood of having DAD at post. Uh, so taken together, these findings suggest for the first time in humans that lower tidal volume may reduce the development of ARDS in patients with ARDS risk factors and are in keeping with the substantial body of experimental work uh, and some recent observational studies that you alluded to showing a uh, possible prevention of ARDS in at-risk individuals with the use of lower tidal volume ventilation. Just as a follow-up, Dr. Thompson, I do find this very intriguing. I guess the, the question would be to the clinician listening to this podcast, do you think patients who are at risk but do not meet clinical criteria for ARDS at this point should be ventilated with, with low tidal volumes? 
Well, that's a, a good question, and we lack uh, prospective uh, randomized data to answer that question. Some centers have adopted this practice uh, systematically, that practice being uh, the use of a lung protective ventilatory strategy in patients at risk for ARDS but who do not yet meet clinical criteria. Augie Geis and colleagues at the Mayo Clinic, for example, have uh, incorporated that approach into a bundle of uh, interventions for ARDS prevention, including restrictive transfusion strategies, male donor plasma, ventilator-associated pneumonia prevention bundles, etc. And in a beautiful piece of work published in the uh, AJRCCM two years ago, uh, showed that over a decade the development of nosocomial ARDS, the ARDS that's acquired in hospital, uh, was markedly reduced. And while that study doesn't point to the uh, role of lower tidal volume per se, it's a bundle of interventions. Some centers have adopted a lower volume, lower pressure approach uh, for many ICU patients, even those without uh, lung injury. But let me emphasize, uh, without the clinical syndrome of ARDS, but let me emphasize we, we don't have uh, prospective randomized data yet to support that practice change. Fair enough. I'd like to close the, the podcast by alluding to something that uh, Dr. Thompson had mentioned earlier. We're talking about the phenotype of that group of patients with the most severe oxygenation abnormality, that severe ARDS group with the PDF ratio less than 100. And I think as we see that as ARDS mortality is decreasing, clinical trials are increasingly focused on that group uh, that has the most severe oxygenation abnormality. And I guess it's obviously it's crucial to ensure that, that we get that phenotype right in these studies. And this study, if you use, as we talked about, highland membranes, the clinical pathologic correlation is far from perfect, but better in that severe oxygenation abnormality group. So I guess my question would be, is what we have good enough? And if you, especially as we talked about, adding pneumonia to diffuse alveolar damage, or is it time to move away from using a strictly clinical definition based on a PDF ratio in really carefully categorizing this cohort? Dr. Thompson, I'd ask for your thoughts on that first. My, this is the important question of the day. Uh, I think for some treatments, um, such as uh, lower tidal volume ventilation, for example, lower pressure, lower ventilation strategies. Uh, the distinction between DAD and pneumonia without highland membranes is probably not important. Post-hoc analysis of the ARDSnet trial by Eisner and co-workers and a group from uh, Hopkins led by Roy Brower have shown benefit of a lower volume and pressure approach across all ARDS risk factors, for example, pneumonia, sepsis, transfusion, trauma, all appear to benefit from this strategy. And so by extension, perhaps pneumonia without highland membranes would be an entity that would benefit from lung protection. In addition, what, uh, what Brower's group has shown that uh, lower tidal volume appears to benefit across the spectrum of hypoxemia by PF. However, you've touched on an important issue. The lack of specificity for the Berlin definition presents a substantial challenge for drug development efforts, for example, that uh, specifically target what the pathologic processes or the biological processes underlying DAD. And this disconnect between uh, pathologic findings of severe lung injury and the clinical definition that Dr. Estebein has so nicely shown really emphasizes the need for a more complete biological profile of patients with ARDS. 
and an emphasis on the potential value for, let's say, molecular phenotyping with protein biomarkers, gene expression, and uh, perhaps even specific genetic risk factors for DAD. So I, I do think that Dr. Esteban has sort of refocused our attention here, and future progress in therapy uh, to reduce ARDS mortality may very well require the enhanced ability to characterize ARDS patients by both clinical and biological criteria. I'd like to thank you both for a very interesting discussion. Though the new Berlin definition has a relatively low specificity for diffuse alveolar damage, when pneumonia is added to the pathological definition of ARDS, the specificity is improved, especially in patients who have the most severe oxygenation abnormalities. Efforts to utilize molecular phenotyping methods, such as gene expression profiles and biomarkers, to improve the discordance between clinical and pathological definitions in ARDS are an important area of future research. You can read the paper by Dr. Esteban and colleagues, as well as Dr. Thompson and Mathe's related editorial in the April 1, 2013 American Journal of Respiratory and Critical Care Medicine. A complete archive of the ATS article discussion podcast can be found at thoracic.org or by searching in iTunes for American Thoracic Society article discussion. I'm Nitin Seem for the American Thoracic Society.